Hey everybody, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. My name is Michael Levan, and this is going to be a different episode and different moving forward, but then it's going to be the same. So we have a new host on. Christina is going to be joining me. She is somebody that I definitely look up to in the engineering space. She has a lot of Kubernetes knowledge, a lot of security knowledge, uh, and definitely makes up where I lack for sure. So this is definitely going to be an awesome collaboration. Christina, thank you so much for joining me and thank you for joining me moving forward. So in the future, I'm thanking you as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Michael. And hello, everyone. My name is Christina Devochko. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be joining Michael and asking all the stupid questions that uh, <laughs> Michael will not be asking. <laughs> so uh, I am really excited for this opportunity. And I think we can do a lot of fun together a lot of fun content for the community so, absolutely happy to be here yeah and, and that's what it's all about right it's all about uh just getting people as educated as possible and i think especially mm -hmm. in our space right now it's you know we, we we got jeff burke on here he's a senior cloud solutions architect and he's going to be helping us out with data protection and this is uh jeff i i it correct me if i'm wrong here but i feel like data protection is just like one of the things that nobody talks about all that much <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're right. And the thing is, uh, we've seen this before when new technologies come in and the perfect example is Office 365. People just kind of assumed, well, it's being protected until someone found out that it wasn't. And that's kind of happening with Kubernetes. The only thing with Kubernetes, though, is there's the added factor that since there is a high level of complication, there's also the human error portion of it where you need to protect your data. So not just from the bad guys or, you know, things, you know, just being destroyed, but also from yourself. Yeah, I, funny enough, I've uh, I'm, I'm working with a new client right now, and I'm spinning up their, their Kubernetes environment essentially from scratch. And one of the things that came up in like the day two question, the day two ops question, was like, what about disaster and, and DR and, and all that stuff? And you know, so we're looking at just some solutions overall for that right now. But yeah, I mean, it's I feel like it was such a, a standard question back in the day, like my, my, uh, my career started out in systems administration and then, you know, moved into virtualization once that became a thing. And, you know, that it was like obvious, you know, like we had a bunch of ESXi boxes, we had to back them up. We had to think about DR. We had to think about, all right, if this data center in NYC kicks the bucket, where are we going with this? Where's the line going, you know, et cetera. Do we have enough bandwidth here, there, et cetera. But I feel that in their cloud native space, and the Kubernetes space and all that, like it's just kind of went like the topic went from on top of everybody's mind to just like nobody's talking about it. Yeah, and and the thing too is one of the problems is that originally a number of years back, and I had this said to me by a data professional, someone who you know saying, well, no, why backup containers? You know, they're stateless. Well, that changed, right? And that's now they're not stateless anymore. Um, I don't know if it's because Kubernetes was much more dev developer focused at first and, um, you know, developers, they want to code, get the code out and secondary things. So maybe that's why the whole DevOps movement, this combination of developers and operations people who the ultimate responsibility is keep things running. Uh, maybe that's why it's becoming more in focus too. The other worry too, is that uh, how much of a target is it? That's always a question when it comes to data protection is, um, while things like Linux are inherently more stable, more secure, of course, if they're properly administered, nevertheless, if someone really focuses on you, uh, they might or will find something. So that's the other problem too. And as Kubernetes grows in popularity 
enters more workspaces, I'm pretty certain there are going to be more people focusing their attention on how to hurt it, ransomware and whatnot. This is actually great that you bring this up, Jeff, because this is uh, something I also heard a lot. And I have actually seen what also Michael mentioned, like especially with managed Kubernetes service, what I have seen like, okay, cool, we can just provision this Kubernetes cluster and everything is handled by the cloud provider. And uh, what if I have my, I don't run my databases in Kubernetes. So what, what kind of data is there? I maybe just have a bunch of stateless applications. So uh, I probably don't need to, uh, to, to think any, any, any more about that, but actually the reality is, uh, is totally different. So uh, uh, if someone, if an attacker is really invested and especially if they have enough resources to like, to try to get the data out of it, it's just a matter of time and motivation. I'm glad you mentioned cloud too, because there's something called the shared responsibility model and people don't know that. And that is where like Microsoft or AWS say, okay, we will be responsible for this, which means maintaining a certain amount of high availability or whatever state in the contract, but backing up your data or making sure you can especially move it out of AWS or Azure. <laughs> no. So that's the shared mm. responsibility. Mm, definitely. What I feel also is like maybe a missing understanding from what I have seen as well is like, what is the difference in terms of data protection from kind of the classic model that we are used to where a lot of focus in like uh, on backing up everything on a single server versus like cloud native world and Kubernetes, like what is the difference? What are there, is there anything different that I need to think about? Yeah, so that's a very good question. And I think one of the ones I get often asked and I, just to give some context, I was doing data protection about 13 years before I got into Kubernetes. And what you see is the threats are very similar. They can be slightly different, but at the end of the day, ransomware has appeared. Um, you've got the threats of, you know, your data center on catching fire, whatnot. So in that sense, if you have stateful applications, um, and to some extent, even if they're not stateful, but like for things like config maps or secrets you want to back up or things of that nature. Um, but the threats are similar. Another aspect which came in later, especially with virtual machines and with cloud offerings, is uh, using data protection as a way to avoid vendor lock-in. Because let's say you put all your applications in Azure and then they go and just raise the price or you get hit by some huge bill and you're not happy. Well, you are you married to them? I mean, did you sign a contract and that's it for life? Well, you don't want to be. And so you can the, the, the backup applications can also be leveraged as migration tools as well. So that it works that way as well. I mean, I even think that there's an aspect that a lot of people don't think about as well is the simple fact of, okay, you're in the cloud. So you're using AKS, EKS, GK, whatever. Great. So you don't have to worry about backing up etcd. Nobody can see this, but I wore my etcd shirt today specifically for this conversation. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and then, you know, so let's say you're stateless. So you're not worried about, you know, unique IDs. You don't have to have specific network IDs for your pods. Okay, cool. What about volumes? I've never seen an application just run without a volume, without something like there's some data somewhere all the time, you know, in, unless you're, you know, you're, you're hosting a website like Google, but just the website, then there's, there's all that data that you're still processing. You're still saving. So if that, if those volumes are in EBS, they're in Azure storage accounts, wherever they exist, you still got to do something with those volumes. You still got to back them up because what happens when they go away? And, you know, the, the other thing, like, like you mentioned earlier, let's say you want to migrate, 
you have to do something with that data. Like there's always data somewhere and it's so just like often overlooked. Exactly. And now because Kubernetes is getting more and more mainstream, it's not even being actually, to be honest, I haven't heard that question a long time. Well, like containers are like stateless. So that is falling off. And it's interesting to see how it slowly uh, was removed, but yeah, exactly. And I get the end of the day, if you run a business, it doesn't matter what you're leveraging, you have to protect yourself. Uh, the good news is this isn't such a tough topic as when I started. When I started a long time ago doing IT, backup was the job no one wanted. So it would always be the new person, you know, oh, oh here's little Jeff. You're oh, great. Here's backup job. You'll enjoy it. And then, of course, the tape breaks and the CEO saying, where are my, you know, vacation photos? Um, so no one wanted it. Uh, that was a bad job. Uh, later, as the threats increased and as the technology, the software got better, uh, it became a hero job because, oh, well, who saved the day? Well, who gets the bonus? So uh, it's interesting how that's changed. But I think the good thing about the the media constantly reminding us of all the problems with ransomware and whatnot is that it gets in the awareness of the people who make decisions, the managers, the people who might not be IT experts. And so they start thinking, ooh, what if that hits us? What will happen? And it's it's important because it's it's no longer a joke. I mean, there was that pipeline in the States that got hit by ransomware. And it was a national security incident. I mean, that's how you know dangerous it's gotten. So I, I think that at least from the point of view of, okay, it's a new technology. At the same time, people just don't say, what, backup? What? No, they, they're aware of it. It's just that they have to be more aware of it, I think. And you are touching upon a very interesting uh, area of uh, data protection in this case, which kind of is related to us people and uh kind of also doing the exercises and doing the proper testing to ensure that you can simulate uh, issues like this and things going wrong or backups being corrupt. I have actually seen uh, one of the cases in one company where they, they were doing the backups properly, but they never tested them. They kind of <laughs> haven't thought about properly yeah. testing the backups. And when the case came, when they actually needed the backup, they found out that it was corrupt <laughs> for a while. And I was like, oh damn, what went wrong? here you know so this is like uh, also a very a very interesting aspect that i think becomes even more important here because there are so many levels when it comes to kubernetes like to, to ensure that you have the knowledge of how to fix things and restore them that's actually a mantra in the backup world the backups are not important only restores are and i actually had an incident not with kubernetes where a company said, well, we don't like the reports from this product because they'll show red when things don't work. And I go, well, yeah, no, no, no. For our compliance rules, we have to always have successful. So you can change it so it's green. And it was, well, yes. I mean, we, well, I don't know if I can, but but that's not the point. So yeah, restores are important. And I mean, equally, the other thing you, that's when you make a decision about what you're going to leverage, either it be scripts or a vendor software you purchase, there must be some way uh, that you can test it and you have to be disciplined. You have to, to test because I've been through a lot of 1 a.m. severity one calls. And uh, the couple of things I've learned is during those events, even the best IT person, people much smarter than me, under the pressure, under can make huge mistakes and some can just wither away. Um, and so you have to make this a system where you get in and you don't think anymore. It's click, click, click. The other important thing, too, is to have multiple capabilities to restore. Don't rely on just that single one. It's incredible. Every disaster, it's like it's like the, the famous author saying, um, every happy family is the same. Every unhappy family is, is different. I think it was Tolstoy. But um, every disaster seems to be different. It's unhappy in a different way. And often it's because 
you know, they had a very, I'd say, monolithic system. They tested it. And then one thing, that one night didn't work that one way. <laughs> and, you know, so that's the other thing, too. You want to have, and with Kubernetes, because of the complexity aspect, you have to be even more diligent about this, more careful. Um, you know, that the other thing I hear constantly about Kubernetes, which I have to, well, for people who are just learning it is, well, I heard it was self-healing. I mean, I read this article about Pokemon Go never went down. And I see self-healing. Yeah, there's an aspect of that, but it doesn't take away the things that can go wrong. So, but I like that the mantra, the restores are the only thing that counts. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I got to tell a funny story. So I'm, this was, I'm going back over 10 years ago. I remember hearing this story from a previous manager. He worked at, uh, at a hospital and at the time they had tape backups, right? So these tape backups were on the wall. So they, he, and, and, you know, it was, it looked great. You know, everything was on the wall. Everything was dated, yada, yada. On the other side of the wall was an x-ray machine. So, oh. so guess what happened when they tried to restore and there was nothing oh, everything was going it was all wiped out so i mean luckily we don't i don't i don't maybe there's still people that have to deal with that if if you do i'm I, i'm truly sorry and if there's anything i can do for your soul please let me know um but you know even even when we're thinking about for example backups in the cloud i i I don't know. I, I guess I would argue at this point, just based on this conversation, is that you know we're not going to be wiping out drives like on an X-ray machine, but you don't know what you don't know. You're you're not in control of the storage in Azure and AWS and GCP. One wrong move, one wrong oopsie, sorry, your data could potentially go away. So what wh what what's what's the solution? Like, uh, do we argue at this point that we should put it in the cloud and put it somewhere on prem? Should we have something like sitting in in equinox or equinix equinix um you know something like that like what what really should we be doing with our data at this point when it comes to kubernetes and and general uh, uh data overall right but like we're talking about kubernetes today so just in general yeah that's that's a really good point and uh you've hit the nail on the head basically because you don't want all your eggs in the same basket. I mean, it's the age old rule, be it backups or be it your, your money. Do you want it all in this bank, which is, you know, Silicon Valley, you know, all right. Um, um, <laughs> of course. So I, one of the things that I've worked on a lot and uh, here in Canada, it's actually the government's mandated for government departments is um, if, for instance, and I'm not saying they have this, their, their workloads there, I'm making up theoretical, but this is the thing. So if they have their stuff in AWS or their workloads in Azure, they must have uh some backup somewhere else and there must be a system to get out quick so in other words get out quick means that if azure and in their case is it like attacked by you know a, a criminal gang or a foreign power and it's knocked out which is possible um can we just almost press a button and have this back up well to do that the data cannot be in the same location that's been destroyed obviously so i would say um there's even a three two one rule that one of the vendors came up with um and basically that you have like three copies your data two different media and one off-site so off-site so if your business uh not necessarily in the cloud it could be in the cloud uh but if you're in the cloud you want it somewhere else as well um and funny enough because you talked about tape and that's a great story i'm gonna i'm gonna write that down in my mind because that's just a beautiful that's you know the x-ray wiping <laughs> out slowly your backups not to mention your health um but uh the other factor too which could become interesting is tape 
you know, didn't die in the end. And I saw a resurgence of this as a secondary or, you know, third copy archiving whatnot. Uh, tape quality has improved over the years. I don't know if it'll protect against Superman x-rays, but, you know, it has improved and it's totally air-gapped. And this is a very important term, air-gapped, which is abused often, by the way. Air-gapped means that, yes, there's air, there's a gap of air. Uh, but it also means there is no automatic transfer. It has to be a human transfer and it can't be on a network. So that's become a very important term. You'll see that term abused by vendors, you know, oh, it's air gapped. And it turns out, well, it's automatic transfer. And, you know, there is a connection or, but in, in the sense that's become very important. To, so tape is a perfect air gap solution. There are other ones too, like rotating drives, other things. The idea is you push the data onto some kind of a media and then that media is removed from any capability to influence it. Um, so you'd have to protect it from the x-rays too. So I I think one of my biggest questions at this point is how does every how should every organization look at this? So for example, what what we're talking about here, you have some stuff in Azure, you put some stuff on prem, you you test your your recoveries, all that stuff. That is well that is obviously what we should be doing. I'm not I'm not denying that at all. But for the organizations that are 10 people, 20 people, 50 people and they have two folks on their IT staff that, that are managing all of the platform engineering, all the DevOps there, they're doing everything. They very, I'm 99.999% sure they don't have the time to do this stuff. So, you know, is that where we get into solutions? Like I know you're a big uh, a supporter of VM uh, or Valero, or like, do we look at these types of solutions to make our jobs easier for the for the teams that simply do not have the bandwidth to deal with this. Yeah, and and you hit on something really important, which also is kind of in your line of work. There's not having the people to do it, and then there's not having the, uh, not having the knowledge to do it too. Because in those smaller or mid-sized businesses, um, especially when it comes to Kubernetes, uh, you know, it's going to be difficult. And so this is where I think you really have to reach out to service providers, to consultants, uh, it's well worth your, your, and I'm not advertising here. I'm just saying that it is. I've seen a lot of small uh, companies. I worked for two big major service providers here in Canada, and we got a lot of mid-sized companies and they would hire people in their IT department. You know, you have a few developers, you'd have a few, you know, exchange or SQL specialists. Mm. And then again, the backups kind of floating out there and they're good IT people, but there's a problem time and expertise. And you have time to learn the expertise. If the question so those, two, if the answer to those two questions is no, then you simply must, it's well worth the investment. It's like insurance on your house. It, get somebody in or get a company in to help you out with this. It's not that expensive. And the good thing about the service providers is that they'll not only come in with the expertise, but they'll also have the co-locations. They'll have the that location. And because they're offering it to a lot of people, price will be a lot lower than you going renting your own, you know, Iron Mountain somewhere in, in Colorado. Um, they will have that there and you can leverage that. Um, so we saw a lot of that. And a lot of those companies uh, that I dealt with had, I would say a lot of them disasters, but there were disasters where it would have been the end of the company if it, they hadn't done that. Um, so it, it is important. Uh, again, it's a very intimate thing because data protection also revolves around what are you doing? Because there are different types. If you just have files or photos, there's one type of data protection. However, if you're leveraging you know, high transaction databases, there's all sorts of complexities that enter the equation. For instance, integrity, because I can take a backup of an application 
But if that application isn't ready for the backup, I might have a backup, but that application won't work, which is the same as not having a backup. So you get into these areas which are more complex and deeper. And if you don't know what you're doing, you don't want to risk it. Again, the worst thing that I've seen are when people are faced with a situation where it looks like they won't have their data Mm. and they've never thought about this. What does it do to my business? In our day and age, that can mean your business doesn't exist anymore. So I would say, yeah, definitely reach out for expertise um, and engage. There are a lot of service providers out there. It's highly competitive. Um, you can use uh, companies like Veeam. Uh, there's others as well. Uh, well, Veeam doesn't actually do that. They use service providers again. And a lot of the vendors don't actually do it themselves because, again, that's taking on more that they don't want to. So they will leverage service providers. And you'll have service providers which will use various uh, pieces of software. Again, uh, one of the important things is, you know, use the software that does the job. If you're a service provider, you're not you don't really care about the stamp or whatever that you care about your customers being satisfied because otherwise <laughs> you're going to lose them. Right. So that's important, but you're totally right. I Don't take it on yourself. I've seen some, uh, there's another factor too, which I'll mention too, which I've seen a lot. I've seen some ingenious solutions. So you'll have, uh, I forget one company where there was a fellow who was working there who was just literally a genius, 10 times smarter than me. And he created these incredible scripts. I mean, there's bash and he had some Python in there and there's incredible and then one day he decided to move and they wouldn't give him a raise. We left. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they invited us in and said, hey, you guys are data experts. Can you look at this and figure it out? And I was like, oh, my. And I even think, I mean, I don't want to be a mean person, but I even think that he had done some of that. You know what developers do sometimes? Some What's the word? Obsification, you know, to make things kind of fuzzy so you can't figure it out. Um, so we had no idea. And we, in the end, we just redid all the backups. So another important point, <laughs> you don't want to be hostage to your insider person who's decided to ask for too much of a raise. And an interesting uh, aspect here when you, for example, get the um, uh, get that competence externally is, for example, if you have that IT department, even if it's two or three people, but they're motivated to learn more and to get that expertise and knowledge that you can actually use that you don't need to invest uh, permanently to always pay for many and many years for getting that expertise, but you could also utilize that expertise so that your IT department could sit together with uh, the resources that uh, you kind of get uh, get in-house for some time, and they actually can learn uh, on how to do this, uh, to do this properly so that uh, they will be able to maintain it also by themselves when, for instance, they feel confident in it. Yeah, in Scandinavia, exactly. uh, just uh, sorry, one point yeah, I wanted yeah. to mention is that in Scandinavia, for example, we see more companies are like getting more focus on getting in-house resources, investing to get their uh, loyalty, to help them feel confident and good and comfortable so that they can invest long-term in those resources and preserve them together with that competence. And they, like many companies, are thinking about like reducing the amount of consultants because the changes are being done in a different way than the in-house uh, resources do. And there are many reasons that's like a totally separate discussion uh, that it can take. So this kind of can be an, a, new, a new view to getting why it could be valuable to get that expertise from professional, like experienced uh, companies as well. Yeah, yeah and I've, I've seen that as well um, because one thing that companies don't like is someone bringing a black box and sticking it in your in your office saying, we'll back up your system here. Just don't touch it and let it do its thing. And you're going to wonder what it's doing. Um, so that is very true. 
what I do also see, though, is uh, there's one thing always, as you know, with IT is there's the desire of where you want to be and where you actually are. And what I tended to see a lot was while there was an interest in learning just enough to do the basics, because of time pressures, because of, you know, the stress of having to keep moving in your knowledge, which with Kubernetes expands that a billion times, um, time is a factor. And so what we tended to see, and it was interesting because I'd go into organizations and they say, oh, you know, our compliance and tight security, we can't let you guys into the, so we give them an appliance and, and we can't let you in there. Um, you just do the cloud stuff and that's fine. And then a month goes by two months. Well, you know, we've been thinking about it. Probably a good idea that, you know, we can clear you into this. And the reason was is because at the end of the day, people don't want extra work. And so while, yes, the companies might want to learn all this and they will to a certain extent, on the one hand, you have the actually IT employees who have a full-time day job and are kind of, you know, don't want to learn too much more. Mm. You also, though, have management who are worried about giving this person too many new interesting skills, like how to back up Kubernetes, because what happens if there's not that many out there? I mean, there's Michael and maybe there's four or five more. Uh, you know, they might think, wait a minute, maybe I should. So that is a problem. Um, but I, I think probably more importantly, though, is the fact that, as we know, IT is not stagnant. And they say it's good. It keeps us young, but we're always students. So mm -hmm. there's a time problem. So there's only so much you can kind of take on, but it's possible. It's possible. Cool. So wrapping up here, just have one, one more question for you. And then Christina, if you have another question, perfect. So the, the, the biggest question for me is what should people be using at this point for backup, disaster recovery, all of that stuff when it comes to Kubernetes? You know, I see a lot of Valero out there. I see a lot of VM out there. Uh, I'm starting to see a little bit of Zerto out there. What, what, what's, your, what's your opinion on this? So what I would say is this. Most importantly is you want to use a native application. So I'm not even going to get into the vendors. There's some obviously that I like a lot more. And I think you probably guess if you look at my my Lincoln. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, that is is a native application. Why? Because when it comes to Kubernetes, I've had people say, oh yeah, I'm backing up. I'm using my, you know, my Veeam or my something. So not, you know, Kasten or I'm using, you know, Commvault or something like that. So doing a VM level backup. Okay. And that reminds me of when virtualization showed up and everyone was still using physical agents for that were for physical machines. They're putting in their VMs going, yeah, this works great. There, you can get a certain backup doing that. However, as you know yourself, Kubernetes, especially it's a multi-node cluster, if you're using them VMs, that cluster might be out of sync, you know, if the VMs are being backed up. So native application, one that understands Kubernetes, one that leverages things inside of Kubernetes, um, because again, restoring can be complicated and things go wrong. You need it as close as possible. It's also like with AWS and workables in AWS and Azure, you want to use native backup applications. You don't necessarily, again, put physical agents in there. Uh, because that's not really the way you might be forced to in some cases. So that's important. As far as the, the vendor's concerned, I mean, there's, you know, there, there are a lot of good ones out there. I have my preference. I think uh, most importantly is you try them out, you see what works. Um, and of course, I'm not a salesperson, but I'm always reminded, Jeff, don't forget sales and pricing. Of course, sales and pricing. <laughs> um, so that obviously, if you're a small company, most importantly is don't go without don't create your own if you don't really think you know what you're doing because it's too important to, to make that mistake and stay with an application that understands Kubernetes, that knows mm -hmm. how to talk. Nice. 
Can I pitch in one last question as well, going out with a blast? Mm -hmm. uh, if, um, if you were to recommend some resources for the community so that they can learn more about data protection in context of Kubernetes specifically, like for instance, I know of data protection uh, workflow white paper that, uh, that is available in Kubernetes community repo on GitHub, but are there like, like do you know, uh, do you uh, know this uh, document specifically and are there any other resources that you could recommend for the community to learn more yeah, so, about it yep. i've seen that i've seen that it's very good as well i mean here um one that i know really well because i'm like a, a a guest instructor is the cube campus which is offered by cast and only because it, it goes through like a basic kubernetes you know learning thing but that's mainly for vm specialists who they're trying to introduce but at the end, they actually talk about how to leverage their product. But while they're doing that, they're actually hitting all the, the points. Um, I remember Cube Academy with VMware, I think, had something there, too. It wasn't their focus, though. So so I think there might have been something there. Um, if you're doing um, if you're just thinking about basic backing up ETCD, you know, you can use the command line utility. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, again, Cube Campus, I know definitely. You can also just Google the vendors. Obviously, one thing in the cloud uh, native world, which you've probably you've seen, of course, is everyone's jumping on the bandwagon of free education uh, because of the fact that, you know, there's a big gap in expertise out there. Um, people realize, well, if we give them some free training, which is quality, not just, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> what's the correct answer? One plus one. Oh, let me think. Two. Oh, you got a certificate. There you go. Um, but something better. And there's a number of those, like for instance, uh, Tigera has a great one for Calico, which is tough. I mean, I, there was a test exam there. I failed it three times. They let me redo it. It's free. So I could happily fail. Um, so yeah, the vendors, you should check most of the vendors would, would should be on board with this kind of thing. Again, the one that I really like personally is Cube Campus because not just because I was involved with, because it it actually hits these points and 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 hits these talking points because they're trying to explain it to VM people. They're focusing, saying, "Hey guys, remember v virtual machines? This is what we need to do in Kubernetes." Mm. Um, but you know, it, it's it's getting to be a bigger and bigger topic. Um, so I think there'll be more information out there. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, a Cube Campus, uh, Cube Academy, check that out. I'm trying to think. Um, there's no, I don't think official courses out there, like any kind of certifications out, which is interesting. Maybe Linux foundation will come out with something eventually. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the take I have on it. Awesome. Thank you. Perfect. All right. So Jeff, where can everybody find you? This is your time to plug away. Courses, oh, I didn't come books, prepared. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, Ooh, I should have got my profile out one second. Um, I'm on, so I'm on Twitter. I don't know how long I'll be on Twitter for because Twitter keeps going up and down and all around, um, you know, but I'm at cloud restore, uh, on Twitter that I actually got that name a long time ago. I can't believe it. I mean, it's been really, I think I just guessed, I want something really kind of a cloud restore. I didn't realize just how good it would become on uh, LinkedIn. If you, let me see how to find me on LinkedIn. Cause I got one of those. Uh, I mean, you type Jeff Burke, and if you type Jeff Burke Kubernetes, I've got a lot of posts there. JeffBurkeBlog.com is my blog, which I need to work harder on. It's a little bit sloppy, but it's got some stuff in there. And I'm also, so one place I'm pretty um, active on is I'm actually the Cube Corner lead or something. So Veeam have a community hub. And they have something called the Kubernetes Corner, which we keep vendor agnostic. So we don't try to, you know, you're getting sleepy by this. Um, <laughs> we don't do that kind of thing. We, we we actually encourage people to come with all sorts of opinions because that's what's making it interesting. And so Kubernetes Corner on the Veeam Community Hub, 
I'm the, oh, leader, the group leader, whatever it's called, uh, which is, you know, pure pro bono position just to, you know, I get some swag, I think. Nice. I've got to remind them, hey, where's my coffee cup? <laughs> but a lot there too. And and so that's, I, and I, I'm also a code cloud ambassador, um, a Calico ambassador, traffic ambassador, and there was an off zero ambassador. So my time, my time Ooh. is picking up to, I do a lot Ooh. of talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on, for educating us. Really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody that's listening. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.